0: In 1997, we got a... Knock, knock.
1: Who's there? I think you're shagadelic, baby. You're switched on. You're smashing.
0: Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to another episode of the Does It Hold Up podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. And if you couldn't tell from the opening and or the scene we just played, we're talking about 1997's Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Shh. (laughs) had to get one in there so this is a spoof of james bond written and leading by mike myers yeah uh he wrote it and plays two leads in it which we'll get to in a minute i didn't see this one in theaters when it came out it didn't didn't have the chance Hmm. um it wasn't a huge movie in 1997 but it became huge on home video like the minute It was available at Nostalgia Break, Blockbuster, (laughs) and whatever movie place you got. Like, it became an overnight success immediately on home video. And that is when I finally got to see it.
1: I got to see it for the first time for this podcast. It was along the same thread of, like, I saw how much this movie focused on, like, sex and everything. And I was just like, yeah, that's probably not a comedy for me. But you
0: watched Airplane, like, that we just talked about last week. You had seen Airplane, a spoof parody comedy movie, Mm -hmm. but not this spoof parody comedy movie.
1: Yeah. But but why? Uh, Because I was introduced to the other one through family.
0: But your family doesn't like this one?
1: I think they do. I just think because it was all about someone who just always wanted sex... It didn't, it wasn't as good.
0: Oh, it's so much more than that, though.
1: Oh, I know now. I just didn't know then. Yeah, apparently. I just had avoided this one because I thought it was one way and it might actually not be that cut and dry.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing this on home video. I was, I would have watched it around 1998. So I was maybe 12, 12 or 13 when I finally saw this movie. And. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my <laughs> god. It was the the funniest thing, the dumbest thing. My friends and I, we're 12. Sex is, like, not there yet. Yeah. We're, we're not there yet. This isn't this isn't modern time where kids are like, I had sex for the first time in fifth grade. No. <laughs> fifth grade, it was like, where's my pogs? Or something like that when I was growing up. And uh, this movie came out, and we just couldn't stop quoting it ever. We literally would just... For no reason, look at each other and be like, do I make you Randy, baby? Do I? And people would be like, okay, can you not do that in public? That would be fantastic. But when I was 12, like, we would quote this movie all the time. We would walk around and just be like, do I make you honey? Do I make you Randy? Do I? I I don't know why. We're 12. We don't even know what half those words mean. But we (laughs) did it anyway because it was like the dumbest thing ever. And anytime somebody talked, we would do the shush. It yeah. was like the thing. Hey man, do you want to go? Shh? But I was just gonna. Shh. Shh. That was a preemptive. Shh.
1: <laughs> I was four when it came out, so my friends were not. <laughs> I would hope this movie. not. Yeah. <laughs>
0: what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing at daycare today? Watching Austin Powers? Yeah, perfect. Oh yeah,
1: no. So it was ahead of my time, and then I just never went back for
0: it. Yeah, which is just a shame because it's got two sequels. Yeah, so like you thought maybe you could have jumped on the train at at some point during those, but I guess not.
1: Nope.
0: This movie was just a favorite of mine growing up. It was something we talked about all the time. When the sequels came out, I was super jazzed to watch them. Yes, I just said jazzed. I sue me for it. Come at me, bro. Love that word. I do too. Um, it just it encompasses everything. It's a great word. It's a great word. Bring jazz back. Yeah, I don't need to be like I was excited. No, I was jazzed. Yeah, jazz hands. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you guys couldn't see me, but I just did jazz hands, but yeah. So like it became a huge deal, like everywhere people from 12 years old to 57 years old. We just couldn't get enough of this movie. It, it set Mike Myers up who was coming off of Wayne's world and Saturday night live and was already a big star, but this put him into like a whole other stratosphere yeah. In terms of being a celebrity. Like, people love Wayne's World. Don't get me wrong. I can't wait for us to cover it. It's going to be amazing.
1: It's another I one I haven't think, seen.
0: <laughs> I think it's gonna be still amazing. We'll find out. But he was big then. Saturday Night Live, he was he was a star. But all of a sudden it was like he could lead a movie. He could be an action star. He could he could do this. Even though this is a comedy, there's still action in it. He still has to like do stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was like bam, 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 bam. And he made this movie. He made two sequels. And then for some God-awful reason, he ended up making The Love Guru and Cat in the Hat (laughs) and completely just ruined his career.
1: Yeah, tanked it. It, it.
0: And then he never took another starring role. Like, he was the biggest star almost on the planet at the time of these movies. And then just never took another role, except for, like, little pieces here. Because if you watch Bohemian Rhapsody, he's the record label executive that they go sell their bohemian rhapsody too because he got that role in that movie side tangent here he got the role as the record uh producer in bohemian rhapsody because he made that song famous the song wasn't popular when it was first released on their album in the in the 70s i believe but then when they did the the song in wayne's world and they sing it in the car all of a sudden it had a whole new life and became like it became the number one song of that year, even though it had already been out for like over a decade. Yeah. So like he was responsible. So they gave him that part and he accepted it because it meant a lot to him. So you get to see him like pop up every now and then, but like, come on, man. We need we either need another Austin Powers, like I would love to see old man Austin Powers or like <laughs> at least just make movies. Yeah. You're such a great
1: actor. Yeah. Well, he needs to write more apparently.
0: Yeah. I great writer. Um, but this movie is a spoof of James Bond. But clearly, yeah, he's a secret agent, British secret agent who has to fight Dr. Evil, who's a complete ripoff of Blofeld from James Bond. And he's all about like hooking up with women and he just constantly
1: gets the really hot girls. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Even though it just doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't matter. And he has gadgets and that's how he wins. And yeah, it's it was great. Oh, yeah. But how great was it? Mm-hmm. What's Ebert got to say?
1: Well, I kind of want to see. What do you think he gave it?
0: Out of the stars? Yeah. Whew. Um. Well, probably more than two and a half. <laughs> yeah. No, uh actually I'm gonna say I think he gave it two and a half.
1: He gave it three. Ooh,
0: that son of a bitch! <laughs>
1: All right. Does this one still make you just as mad that Spider-Man didn't get it? Uh,
0: I mean, I would have gave Spider-Man a three-star minimum, too. But this one, three stars, I'm good with that. Okay.
1: The quote I grabbed from him is, That's the simple but productive premise of Austin Powers. A funny movie that only gets funnier the more familiar you are with James Bond movies. All the Bond clones and countless other 1960s films the joke is that both powers and dr evil are creatures of the 1960s and time has passed them by the movie is grounded in variations of its theme james bond meets political correctness
0: great that that's probably one of the better things you've read uh, from from him about whatever movie we're covering
1: yeah it it encompasses so much about this movie
0: well, yeah, I mean, that's he literally explains the movie, but also reviews the movie at the same time. I like, You always have a big problem with him. I because do. Because you feel like he doesn't review it, he just summarizes the movie a lot of times. A
1: lot. I struggle finding quotes from him sometimes, because it feels like all he's doing is just ex- explaining what the plot is of the movie, the entire movie. And it's like, okay, but what did you think about that? Like, give me some of your
0: thoughts. Well, you have to remember, critics aren't here to say whether you know it was a good thing or a bad thing they're here to tell you the movie and what worked so like they have to do that by explaining the movie but yeah i get it you just you always have a problem but that one was like a summary Mm -hmm. with additional layers on top of it
1: yeah he he got what it was what the movie was actually trying to do instead of just seeing it as a, a joke absolutely love it as for today's reviewers the Rat and Tomato critic score has it at a 73%. So it's still pretty high. And the Audience score has it at a 77%. So they're rather close. Still in that, like, C range, though.
0: Yeah, that's a little lower than I expected them to be.
1: Especially when Airplane was in the 90s. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. What are you going to do? Well, Can't it, control it all. It could
1: be that some people saw it for face value instead of reading behind what was actually uh, there
0: did you did you have a cinema score for this one
1: the cinema score for this movie was a b minus so a little surprised by that but I maybe mean, because that... people didn't know what they what to expect going in
0: i mean that makes perfect sense for the ratings you just gave off rotten tomatoes yeah high 70s b minus so high seventies c plus cinema score b minus yeah it makes sense i don't, maybe i agree maybe i don't we're <laughs> around <and> find out <laughs> shameless plug to just keep listening <laughs> all right box
1: office yeah
0: here's how this movie did this movie came out in 1997 to be exact it came out may 2nd 1997 which means it would have been part of the summer movie blockbusters if it came out now
1: because mm-hmm.
0: the, the summer blockbusters have just started coming out earlier and earlier every year
1: it means i was three when it came out not four <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were um no well yeah you had not yeah, you were three yeah. and a half. Uh, all right, so this bu- this movie had a budget of eighteen million dollars. Domestically, it made fifty three million eight hundred eighty three thousand nine hundred eighty nine. Not a bad return on only about eighteen million dollar budget. Mhm. So about three times the budget. It's it's that's, not bad. That's good. Internationally, it took in around thirteen point eight million, and total sixty seven point seven million worldwide. Adjusted for the 2020 inflation, 2020, 2022 inflation, <laughs> uh, you'd have a grand total of 107650582 So in 1997, where do you think it ranked in the box office? What number do you think it's at Six. No oh God, no. Not even remotely close. <laughs> so this movie fell between Starship Troopers and the Jackal and it came in at number 32. Starship <laughs> Starship Troopers made 54.3 million at number 31, and The Jacko made 53.1 million at number 33. Really messed up. That's really far down I think for a movie that went on to well, such success.
1: Like you said, people didn't see it in theaters. It was till home yeah, release. Yeah, people
0: weren't they weren't having it. But uh and I think part of the problem was, you know, you heard the whole dialogue about princess diana and charles's affair and how you know we should ransom we should blackmail them and blah 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 well she unfortunately had just passed right before she had just been in that car accident she had just passed Mm. right before this movie came out and maybe people thought like it was distasteful so they spread the word of like this movie goes a little too far
1: it's in a world where she survived.
0: Yeah, and I know Enjoy that world. Yeah, I know it's a it was a big thing in the UK that when it was released theatrically, they had removed that entire scene so that that whole segment was never even mentioned. Wow. Because they just it had just happened. Yeah. There was no way they were going to let that play. They actually according to quick internet research, it looks like they didn't allow it to actually be played. Until they re-released it just a few years ago. Even the home release didn't have that included in the UK versions. It just got re-released in the last couple of years sometime. And finally, the television version also added it back in. So, like, they did not let it play for a long time. Wow. In 2022, adjusted for inflation, where do you think it sits? 54th. No. It moved up, actually. So adjusted for inflation in 2022, this movie would sit between uh, Disney's *Lightyear* and *Smile*, the horror movie, Mm. and it would have come in at number 16. It would have literally jumped ahead 50%.
1: Yeah,
0: it's crazy. Uh, *Lightyear* would have made *Lightyear* made 118.3 million. *Smile* made 106 million. So it was far off from *Lightyear* by about 12, by about 11 million. But *Smile*, it just barely beat out by like a million that's crazy to think like smile is good movie yeah but it's gonna come and go it has no no legs people aren't gonna talk about that movie in five years people still talk about austin powers
1: yeah well once again it's the that home release yeah absolutely
0: all right that's all i got for the box office
1: we getting into the movie
0: let's do it so we can start by talking about mike myers dual roles as the lead austin powers and his nemesis dr evil He was both? He was both.
1: I wondered who uh, Dr. Evil was. You
0: didn't know he was both? No. Oh my God, it's so crystal clear. Is it really? Oh yeah, it's so good. Watch it again. You'll be like, how did I miss this? Um, (laughs) It was originally supposed to go to Jim Carrey though. Jim Carrey was going to play Dr. Evil, but 1997, he was coming off Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura and like these movies that put him on the map. He was in the middle of, he was doing the Truman Show that Mm -hmm. also came out in 90. He just couldn't find the time. And so Mike Myers ended up doing both roles, but that wasn't the plan originally. And now I'm like, I want that version.
1: I want that version, but it actually almost adds to the whole subplot of this. The whole underneath of like, these are two people cut from the same cloth. They're literally the same person. They're quite
0: honestly cut from the same cloth. Because in Austin Powers Gold Member, we find out that they're brothers. Oh. So.
1: They wrote it in. They added that. They
0: added it. So the fact that he had to play both actually benefited them moving forward where they could use that as part of the storyline. Who's their father? Michael Caine. Well, he's not Michael Caine, but Michael Caine plays their father (laughs) in the third one. It's Mm. absolutely wonderful. The movie's not. He is.
1: I absolutely love how this movie begins with that classic spy music. (laughs) It is just... You don't quite know that it's a parody yet because this is the exact song that you would hear in any other spy movie. Oh, yeah. It sets you up for that's the world that we're going to be in, but then it immediately takes you into a super spy who everyone just knows. (laughs) So that's how you know it's a parody is everyone knows who this person is, what their name is, what their deal is, and... That was a great opening. A Which great is also opening just to that world.
0: A great spoof on James Bond, who literally just walks around and will tell anybody who will listen, I'm Bond. James Bond. And it's like, dude, you're a spy. Shut the hell
1: up. <laughs> well, you're supposed to have an alien. But at least he has a code name of, you know, double O seven.
0: I know. It's so dumb though.
1: Yeah. But that's what never this is really uses spoofing it, but.
0: and it's absolutely wonderful. You're one hundred percent right.
1: <laughs> I also really appreciated the first time we meet with um Dr. Evil and all the, like, caricatures of villains that he has, like, each one of the people sitting at his table are classic, like, villain stereotypes. So it was like, uh, I see what you're getting to there. This movie, I'm not the biggest fan of James Bond, I will admit that, but I do enjoy some spy movies here and there, and I can really enjoy the fact that they took a lot of time and effort and love and care into this genre to know all these things to poke fun at but in a tasteful way
0: like our introduction to dr evil who we never get to see he's always either in shadow or shot only from the neck down so we can never actually see who he is so we can see
1: his really fluffy cat
0: yeah dr bigglesworth (laughs) is that his name mr bigglesworth oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, he's not a
1: doctor he didn't go to four years of evil school (laughs)
0: But yeah, it's great introductions and everything, and then we get Austin's introduction and his sidekick, um, who is played by Mimi Rogers, and I don't remember her her if they gave her a first name.
1: I have no idea, honestly. I,
0: I honestly I don't remember either, but I just remember being like, how wonderful is it just to see Mimi Rogers mm-hmm. because she was a big actress, and then not so much um, Miss Kensington. But they don't give her a first name. I couldn't remember if they did or not because her daughter gets a first name. But they get it. And then the whole, hell of it. You know, it's going to be a really dumb movie when the first joke you get of the entire movie is, you know, we get the whole introduction and they're dancing and they go to a nightclub and they're talking about, you know, what they got to do.
1: Mind you, this is all set in the 1960s.
0: Yes. And a waitress walks up during the whole disco scene and is like, hey, can I get you guys something? Blah, blah, blah. And Austin's just like, yeah, you can. And then just punches her, like, square <laughs> in the face. And everybody's like, oh, my God. What did you do? Miss Kensington's like, what did you, yeah, what did you do? And he's like, you hit you hit a girl. And he leans down, and he's like, it's not a girl. It's a man, baby. And then, like, it's clearly now a man with, like, five o'clock shadow, not stubble. Even
1: in the same body shape. Yeah. Or, like, it's a thicker dude. Yeah. It's yeah. literally
0: one of the best opening jokes because everything before it, you could just chalk up as in it's going to be a really campy yeah, spy movie. Mm-hmm. This is the first time where you're like, oh my god, okay. <laughs>
1: this is the level of ridiculousness that we
0: are going to get to in this movie, and I'm here for it. 100% here for it, because it's just fantastic. And then they play it off again later yeah. <laughs> with somebody who he thinks is a man who's not a man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just great.
1: But... Then Dr. Evil realizes he's made or whatever. And so he takes off into space and freezes himself until... 1997. 1997. In a, like, big boy.
0: Yeah, big boy. It's an old... um,
1: Restaurant It's an old,
0: yeah, restaurant mascot who literally they would have a big boy outside the restaurant, like a giant statue holding something. And usually it was the sign. The Simpsons parried it really well. Also with the big... Uh, donut donut lad yeah yeah same idea it was a thing that actually existed and again spoofing it so yeah he freezes himself and then okay here's where my first question comes in yeah they freeze austin mm-hmm. and then they dethaw thaw him in 1997 because they find out that dr evil is now defrosted yeah and they need him to to
1: capture him. him and yeah. stop him why 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 did they need to
0: freeze Austin Powers to... It's not like he caught Dr. Evil in the 60s. -hmm. He didn't do it. He didn't catch him. He got away. So why do we have to freeze him to try to catch the guy he couldn't catch in the first place?
1: My thought was that Austin volunteered for it. He wanted to be frozen until Dr. Evil came back. Because that's his nemesis. He has to be the one to stop him, you know?
0: Sure, but you're an entire spy organization. You tell him no, and then you train somebody to take down Dr. Evil the minute he... Also, he's in a he's in a flying big boy. In 1997, we have satellite and stuff like that. Yeah. Is nobody monitoring this and, like, knowing where he's going to land, and you don't have, like, an entire army just waiting for him when he hits the ground and then just shoot him and it's over?
1: Yeah, like, we can do the trajectory of where it's going to land and just be there.
0: Right. Okay. At this point, we've been to the moon guys. We know how to track these things. Like, well, maybe we've been to the moon. That's a whole nother conversation, but like just track him when he lands, arrest him or shoot him. Do something. This movie shouldn't happen is what I'm trying to say.
1: My big problem with this is we get him defrosting and all that. And we have, uh, the, the younger Kensington, whose name I don't Vanessa. Vanessa. Meet up with him, and she's like, I'm supposed to help you get acclimated to the 1990s, right? Yeah. She does nothing of that. She she doesn't tell him anything of what that's happened. Well, I think she's just supposed to help him with the case, not so much. She says it, at, that I'm here to help you adjust. When they first come,
0: that's adjust the defrosting. I think not, not like. I thought it was supposed
1: to adjust him to the times and be like, okay, this is how we do things now. This is procedure. This is what has happened. Like, because you'd want if you've been frozen, you want someone to like give you a a nice little textbook of things that has happened while you are away. A nice little video. Yeah. You know, to so that he wouldn't make a fool out of himself trying to do whatever it is he's supposed to do which I, inevitably he does you're not wrong you're not wrong i get it i get how you could read that way the the
0: way i always read it was she was just there to catch him up on what was happening like with dr evil with the case with yeah. that stuff get him prepared to that also like you saw the 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 unfreezing process he was completely smack dab out of it he, oh, he yeah. didn't know what his left foot from his right foot at that point so i think that was more just getting him Kind of back to himself yeah. after that. I didn't read it as in like, I'm going to give you homework and teach you all about the 90s.
1: Well, this whole defrosting scene brings me to my most hated moment in no, this movie. No, I
0: swear to God, if you say it, say it.
1: It's it's not necessarily my Han Award. It's just, this is my most hated thing, is the peeing scene Oh my God,
0: you're so wrong.
1: That takes forever and keeps starting and stopping and i'm just like you you held on just a tad too long no
0: no 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 you can't say that you can't say that and i can tell you why you can't say that Mm -hmm. i timed it yeah i timed it was 52 seconds long that the pee joke lasted for 52 seconds from the minute he starts peeing until that moment's over it was so long no 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 it was a second shorter than the pee scene in a league of their own which you think is funny
1: no, I don't. You do. You said it on the like pod when we scene. talked about that movie. Uh, maybe I like the people reacting to it, but I don't like that scene. I think that scene takes too long, too. But at least that one, the whole point is they are physically timing it and being like, oh. Well, yeah,
0: but who cares if they're timing it? He just was frozen for 30 years. He's got to pee.
1: I just, it was one of those things where you just you held on it a little too long. You I kept think... replaying the joke of him starting and stopping too many times. It, it so didn't good, work for me.
0: Oh, I love that scene. I'm sitting here thinking, why don't you guys just hold on for two seconds longer and become like the longest pee scene in a movie? <laughs> you missed it out. We missed out on it by like a second. Was nobody timing this? Nah. Did nobody know? Nah. I, I could have used another two seconds just to pass up the league of their own pee. And then they could have had a pee battle to who was the better pee scene. I mean, I'm just if gonna you're say gonna... Pee a lot.
1: If you're willing to make it go that long already, I guess two seconds doesn't just, kill it. Yeah, Since it's already going to be too but long I thought, for me. But
0: I thought the same thing in the League of Their Own. If you're going to go 53 seconds, just go a minute. Just do it. Just commit and be like, I'm going to go for an entire minute on a singular P joke. Yeah, And it's, let's just see how many people I can actually get to just keep watching it. <laughs> like, that's my thought here. And I absolutely love it. And I love, I can't understand why you don't like it. I love the start stop with the audio, with the computer system being like, evacuation, come, evacu evacuation, come. And he just keeps peeing every time she tries to say it. He I just think because it,
1: it just, it went on just a tad too long for me. You yeah. held the joke too long.
0: Five minutes. Give it to me. Give me a five minute pee scene. Let's just do it. No. Oh, it's so funny. I love that scene. And I knew you were going to say it. Yep. I knew you were going to say it. Yep. But it is also, like, that whole P scene sets us up for that combined with, the, like, punching of the man and, like, the big boy. Like, these are those major jokes that have kind of hit already. Yeah. The punching the man, him freezing himself in a big boy in space, the pee joke, the whole unfrosting. And then like, we know that this, this is the humor because it wasn't, like, a one-off joke. This will always be the type of absurd humor that's happening in this movie. Yeah. And that's, like a benefit, I think that's a positive for this movie, it never sways from what it tells you it's going to be. It started out by punching a man in the face, well, a woman who turns out to be a man, not even remotely close, and it's like, that's what you can expect. And then with the pee joke, they take it one step further into the absurd levels, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I I'm, I'm, I i am don't know where we're going to go from here. I, It could be anything. Like, they opened up that door of just... Expect the unexpected because we could give you a five-minute pee joke or we could give you him punching a baby and it turns out to be a man instead. We don't know. <laughs>
1: and I like that. Yeah. And then we get one of my most favorite characters in this movie of Basil Exposition. Funniest thing for me because he only came in for Exposition. I was like, this makes so much sense. So I love much. this. This is the kind of humor that I am here for.
0: <laughs> also played by wonderful actor Michael York, who he's just phenomenal every time you see him like he was in logan's run he was great in that he's just so good so like give him a role absolutely (laughs) um wait can we can we talk about one more scene in the him getting unfrozen section can we talk about the swedish penis enlarger
1: i also hated this part oh
0: come on Really?
1: That's not the kind of humor that works for me. So yeah, that's probably what my issue is. Okay, so... I'm the outlier here. Is
0: your issue because it's a Swedish made, made penis enlarger, penis enlargement pump? Or is it something else? If it was any it's, other object, do you object to the joke?
1: I still think it goes on a little too long. See, I don't. Okay, so... it. it this one in particular is probably because it's the penis enlarger. But it does go on... A little long, because he keeps um, yep. saying it's not his, but they bring in other things to make it, say, like, They work. layer it.
0: That's why it's, like, which it's is not the better, same
1: thing. Which is why I said it's not my most hated scene. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I, don't, I love this scene, because I love the idea of, oh, that's not mine, baby. And he's like, one receipt for the purchase of a Swedish, Swedish-made penis enlargement pump signed by Austin Powers. Oh no, baby, that's not mine. Somebody forged my name. One, uh, something else, and then he's like, "No, that's not my bag, baby." And one book, my Swedish penis enlargement pump, and me. This is my bag, baby. <laughs> like it's just Lair, by on Paul, layer on layer and layer, and like that's that comedy gets me. I don't care that it's a, a a pump. It doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, it's the the cleverness of the joke of him saying it's not his, but like him not remembering the the clearly what he handed over when he got frozen because he would have had to hand all this over which means it 100% is his bag baby and he just doesn't remember and he's trying to play it cool but he's so not cool yeah because this is our first moment of him not being cool when we get the introduction of, of him in 1960 everybody loves him the women love him the men fear him or want to be him like he is the bee's knees yeah. he's the best thing on the in in the planet right and then when he gets on Frozen, the way people talked him up was like, he's so suave and cool and everything. And he is cool. He gets this crushed velvet suit. He gets these boots, the Italian leather boots, and he gets... And then you hit him with this. And then to watch him panic and try to explain it to this beautiful woman standing next to him and seeing that layered joke, I think is what really just immediate makes me endeared to that character.
1: It also helps add to it that we get this character of Vanessa and she's not immediately swooning for like him. her mother
0: was, her mother was, was so into him. She never did anything with him. She, she says that later. Yeah. Cause she was married, but she like, she clearly was into him. And this is now her daughter, Vanessa Kensington, who's going to lead him in the nineties played by the absolutely stunning Elizabeth Hurley. Like, Oh my God. <laughs> so hot. But like, this is this is the woman his charm should just work on. So yeah. to watch him scramble in yeah. that moment, like you you just fall in love with him. You're like, Oh my god, what a loser. I love him so much.
1: And this is when we start getting to the whole aspect of learning that you are not no longer in the sixties, you are in the nineties. This is a completely different animal. The world has changed and this is the deal. Either you change or you're not gonna things aren't gonna work for you. And we get to start seeing his attempt at changing.
0: Well, yeah, because he tries to sleep with Vanessa like immediately. Yeah. As soon as they leave that facility and they're on a plane going to get Dr. Evil, like going to set everything up, he asks her, he's like, You want a shag? She's like, No. And he's like, But I got to make sure my bits and pieces still work mm-hmm. my twig and rocks, my, you know, my twig and berries. My... Yeah. And she turns him down. And like he jumps on the spinning bed. I mean, you, you know was... you chuckled at the spinning bed.
1: I did. Okay. I did. <laughs> I absolutely loved all of the like positions he got into oh to look appealing to her. Oh, yeah. And it was just, that was very funny.
0: I would love to see the extended version of that. Just every position that he got in. All the different <laughs> takes, all the, oh my. Because so I'm sure funny. there
1: were even more raunchy ones. Oh
0: yeah. There's probably ones where he put his feet behind his head. He probably, oh my God, there's so much. I, I'm i going to have to find it see if it's out there. I never owned the Blu-ray on this. I never owned the Blu-ray or the DVD. Maybe I should, because I bet it's in the deleted scenes that I've never seen. I don't doubt. So I'm definitely going to have to check that out. <laughs> but it's nice to know. So this is one positive for the movie for me. Vanessa yeah, is positive for me, because she doesn't immediately swoon over Austin Powers, even though other women still do. They do. Still do. Even in the 90s, they still do. She doesn't. She's a very strong, level-headed woman who ends up falling for Austin by the end of the movie, but only because he's changing. He, mm-hmm. She starts falling for him when he changes. I know there's a big part that comes later in the movie, but I want to talk about it now because I know it's a part that you absolutely yeah. loved. They're celebrating a small victory, learning some information, yeah. and they're drinking in a hotel room. And Austin's laying in bed, and Vanessa jumps on the bed with him, and what does she want? She she wants to do it. Yeah, this is halfway through the movie. He's already changing. He's he's getting better. And she wants him. And what happens?
1: And he straight up turns her down. He's like, "I we can't do that. You're drunk. You've been drinking. You're not in the right mind. It's not right. Not in that many words. Like, he was a lot more eloquent about it. But yeah. that's the, the semblance of it. And I absolutely applaud this movie for doing it. Because... Even I feel like James Bond would have just been like, okay, let's oh, do it. Whereas this character who we've seen be completely sex crazed, who wants this woman in bed so badly that he's tried multiple, multiple ways, refuse her because she was not in the right mind. And that is a wonderful thing to show.
0: Yeah. It's absolutely one of the best moments in this whole movie of just like, Yes, there's all this craziness going on. There's all whatever, but there's also like good messages as well. And this is one that really stands out of like just because they say yes, you have to look at the stuff surrounding their yes.
1: Yeah. He knew that that was not a actual consensual yes, yes. because That of was the fact alcohol that, talking. Yeah, there yeah. was there was alcohol involved. What's
0: great too is like the very next time we see them after that whole thing, like she's back to level-headed and she's like you know, thank you for not, you know, we didn't do anything and I, I like that, blah, blah, blah. But that's another layer to why she actually does fall for him at the end because those are those little moments of like, oh. He's, he's actually a good guy. Yes. Even though he's sex crazed and he says really dumb stuff, it, he's,
1: it's nice. It's around this time that he starts having like this uh, whole epiphany of, I was there in the 60s when promiscuity was big drugs were big everything was about being free and willy-nilly and we didn't have any consequences we didn't have anything like that so that is what i'm coming from now that doesn't work so much yeah. so i have to adjust myself i have to grow with the times yeah and that's the main theme of this movie it's that whole idea of james bond meets political correctness yep exactly he nailed it and might I say, this is around the time that I realized that Michael Myers is just killing this role.
0: Oh my God. He was absolutely bored for this.
1: murdering it. It was, it's so good. It was almost made for this guy. I mean, it was. He literally wrote it. Yeah. So, it based was off an accent that he did one night with his
0: own wife, one night she told a whole story. He told a story about it when this movie came out. That the accent and the idea of the sex crazed spy came one night when he was flirting with her after they got home from being out and he put that accent on and he hit on her as if she was he was a british spy and he was a sex magnet and all that and she was like that's some of the funniest stuff i've ever heard you need to write that down and so he ended up writing down the the little bit that he did for her which then evolved into this so i just i love literally made for him yeah he literally was like i don't know i was already this character i just needed to put him on screen yeah Fantastic. Okay, let's talk about some of the bad guys. Yeah. We, we skipped ahead a little bit, but that's okay. We're not really going through the notion of the movie, just the idea of the movie. Yeah. So, Dr. Evil, we already talked about. So, his right-hand woman... Mm-hmm. Another cool little aspect in this is the right hand is a very powerful woman. Yeah. The, the women in this movie, although I don't 100% think it would pass the Bechdel test because I think every time women are on screen, they're
1: talking about... It's because we don't get about the a lot of women in this movie. There's only three of them, really, that are, well, four, that are predominant in this movie. And yeah. they don't really have time with each other. No. So. so, it doesn't pass it, but they still are very
0: all-powerful women who know exactly what their worth is. Yes. And how to use what they, how to get what they want, which is yeah. fantastic. Um, but his right-hand woman is Frau Farbicina. I, I'm saying that terribly wrong. Farbicina. Yeah played by mindy sterling and she's great she does so
1: good she... i absolutely love when she's like talking normal and then randomly shouts something oh, yeah. and everyone reacts to it and she's got like a so really good.
0: heavy polish
1: i thought it was german german accent I that thought... would make sense with frau being yeah. her name. i thought it was supposed to be just this strong german woman yeah is this right hand man is like yeah
0: my favorite part is like Although she's the right hand man, it's almost like she controls Dr. Evil a little bit because like he's always looking for her and she, my favorite thing is when they're sitting at the giant table and Dr. Evil has buttons in front of him that he can push and it tilts a chair, whoever's chairs they're sitting in, it tilts their chair back and dumps them into a burning fire basically. And that's how he kills his henchmen when they fail him. And like one time he goes to hit the button and she smacks his hand away with her whip. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's just like, oh, okay. And yep. like they do that a couple times. And it's so funny because she just has so much control over him. And yeah. it's great. Then we get a couple other guys that he just kills off in the beginning, as you said. Yeah. When we're getting introduced to all of them, Generalissimo and stuff like that. Dumps them all. Then we get Fezhead. I think his name's Fezhead. And it's played by Will Ferrell, which is such an odd thing because he wasn't super, like, he was super famous because of Saturday Night Live, but he wasn't a movie star yet. Yeah. So like, to see him in this role,
1: super weird, right? This is, it leads me to a question, though. Okay. Best use of Will Ferrell ever? No. He was only in this movie for two minutes.
0: No. <laughs> well, he was definitely in for longer, but no. Stranger Than Fiction is, is one of my top 25 movies, maybe. Ah, top 50. Uh, he's so good in that.
1: He also has a moment that I think goes on too long.
0: Is it the you shot me moment?
1: The, when he inevitably fails, Dr. Evil, he's tossed back into the fire, but he doesn't die by the fire. He's just like, oh, I'm just badly burned. <laughs> I'm still alive. Help me get out. Oh my God. You shot me in the arm. Yeah. Cause then How Dr. Evil you? sends a
0: guy down there to kill him and he's yeah. like, please go, go kill him so we can just be done with this. Yeah. And you hear a gunshot and he's like, ah,
1: you shot me. You shot me in the arm. Why would you shoot me in the arm? Yeah. And it's just, like, it's a really funny moment. I just think they go a little too long. I,
0: okay. Yes. There are jokes in this movie that I do feel like you just hang on them yeah. a little long. It's one of my negatives with this movie. It's just like, okay, we get it. That's the joke. Yep. Let's move on. I lose the pacing at that time. I think time. some of them need to be. Again, the peeing, I think it. it was a clear... I don't want to say a clear homage to illegal their own. Cause I have no idea if he'd seen that or not. Yeah. I, he, I guarantee he probably did, but it was just a really funny bit. And then the penis enlargement still. And then all of a sudden after that, there were jokes that just went like this dying scene, which comes back in later movies as well. And it's just, okay. Okay, you wanted to give Will Ferrell more lines? I guess. Like what, yeah. what was the issue here? None I, of the other guys did that. They just died. Exactly. So, but also, like, how shitty of a henchman do you have? You tell <laughs> him to go shoot this guy, you hear the gunshot, and then he's like, you shot me in the
1: arm. What are you, what are you doing? Yeah. You, maybe he was just trying to not kill him.
0: Well, maybe that henchman needs to be killed, too, because clearly he's bad at his job.
1: It was an, it was an inside job, because uh, <laughs> apparently he comes back in another movie, and it's it was on purpose that he wasn't actually supposed to be killed in that moment absolutely we also get dr evil's son who's a test tube baby (laughs) yeah and played by seth green love him so much i really enjoy this character because he is that like intro into this world for dr evil because where where his henchmen kind of let him know when things have already happened like kind of guide him towards that thing he's like why are you doing it this way he's the audience who's like why don't you just take care of him now
0: he's us screaming at the screen he's saying everything we want to be
1: saying yeah yeah. but i also love that anytime he enters from like a side room there's like the classic 90s music playing oh yeah grunge rock maybe
0: <laughs> grunge rock
1: and it really made me think that even though this movie is set in the 90s And it was made in the 90s. It is not the stereotypical 90s movie. No. It doesn't have a lot of the tropes that the 90s movies had. It doesn't use a lot of those, like, the grunge music, overly done over everything. It doesn't do that classic 90s thing, which really adds to the fact of... It's timeless. It it can be timeless. It can literally be made today and just said, oh you woke up in 2023. Yeah. Even the script
0: doesn't lend to like, let's do pop culture reference jokes. Mm -hmm. Now there are some visual ones like Austin Powers drinks tab cola. Yeah. That was a very nineties thing.
1: He was also at the disco with, um, God, what is the Campbell soup guy?
0: Andy Warhol. Yeah, Yeah, but that was set in the sixties. So even if I made a movie today, it's set in the sixties, I can still put Andy Warhol in it. Yeah. But like nothing that happens in the nineties were like screaming in your face. It's the
1: nineties. Yeah except for little punches here and there like the music yeah. whenever uh... but i
0: mean it's 2023 i still listen to gr- i still listen to grunge rock now True. so wouldn't change anything True. i still listen to nirvana so yeah. yeah yeah that's one of my favorite things about this movie is it can be timeless because they don't rely on like a lot of comedy movies that i have a problem with rely too heavily <sighs> it's going to hurt me to say but i'm looking at you Ryan Reynolds <laughs> a lot of your movies rely too heavily on pop culture references yeah. to be funny. Um, also looking at you, Tony Stark in The Avengers. Yeah. Hey, Squidward. Dude, 30 years from now, nobody's going to know who Squidward is. That's a bad joke. I mean, trust me, it was a bad joke in 2019 when you said it.
1: Yeah, that that is a major problem with modern comedy yeah yeah because then as soon as that's no longer funny which a lot of movies by the time that they come out whatever they're referencing isn't even funny
0: what are those yeah okay black panther you're about five years too late for that
1: so it's like you're already dating yourself yeah and this movie doesn't do that which is wonderful i mean a little like
0: you said little touches here and there like the cd austin tries to play on the record player was a 90s cd so some of it obviously references but cd still exists in 2023 but it changed the cd
1: is also a plot point that they woke up in 97 so you know when it is and what's supposed to be happening there exactly so it still works yeah
0: no it's one of the best things going for this movie but that's all well no that's not all his henchmen we have one more henchman number two yeah dr evil's number two who has been running his conglomerate because they have a they have a company. Dr. Evil owns a company that's the front for his evil organization.
1: As but, most villains do.
0: Number two is such a good businessman that he tells him, listen, we we made nine billion in profit last year. Yeah. What do you need to take over the world for, man?
1: Especially for one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't Wait, had to do the pinky that's, thing. That's not a lot of money.
0: Oh, okay. One hundred. Million dollars? (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's so funny though, because that's the ridiculous nature of this movie. Of just he has all the money now, but he's gonna he's gonna ask them for like a hundred billion dollars, and it's like, dude, you make nine billion a year. Wait ten years, there you go. There's your hundred billion. Like, (laughs) shut up. But he doesn't care. It's
1: about he has to he has to destroy the world. He has to take over the world. Yeah. And that's not what his son wants, and so they have to go to therapy.
0: So have you ever watched Animaniacs?
1: I've seen episodes here and there. I have not watched all the way through.
0: Okay. But you know who Pinky and the Brain are, right? Yeah. Okay. Seth Green, uh, Scott Evil, mm-hmm. and Dr. Evil remind me of Pinky and the Brain. I can see it. Where Pinky is Dr. Evil, the idiot, and Seth is the smart one. Scott's the smart one trying to just, just do the right the thing. Yeah. And it's so funny. I For some reason, it just always clicks in my head. Because you could also say Dr. Evil's probably both characters. He's Mm -hmm. the evil genius who comes up with the plan, but he's also the idiot who ruins the plan.
1: I was going to say, there was always that... um, Not always, but there has been a whole thing, a theory going out there that the brain was actually the dumb one in the situation. And Pinky just always made him feel smart, but then foiled his plans by pretending to be dumb. Yeah. So it really feels like that.
0: There's actually an entire episode where Pinky is revealed to be very smart, and I think... The, towards the end of the first season of Animaniacs. Mm.
1: But I do, I, I absolutely love this whole dynamic that they have and the little jokes you get from them going to like therapy and trying to be oh a part God. of his life. And it's, yes. they they give enough time to both the good guys and the villains to really feel sympathetic to both their causes. You even connect though, to everybody in this movie. Yeah.
0: In some level, you can connect to every single person because even though you have Frau, Dr. Evil, Number two, S- Scott Evil, Austin Powers, Basil, Vanessa. That's like seven people, but you know every single one of them because it, it does a really good job of spending the right amount of time with each where nobody feels like they were just pushed aside.
1: Yeah. Except I for mean, one
0: guy. And that's the Irish guy who is Dr. Evil's henchman.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, because he's literally there for like a minute. He's and there he... for
0: a Lucky Charms joke and a, and a bathroom joke.
1: Yeah. That's it um we do get some time with another character too a lot of vagina
0: a lot of foot i did i said you said okay
1: just checking just checking i i added the f in there a lot of (laughs) vagina yeah yeah and i i absolutely love this one because i like i said not the biggest james bond fan i didn't know he had partners that were just
0: named like pussy galore
1: yeah okay so can we say that
0: like, do we have to make this episode explicit because I said pussy galore? Maybe. Okay, just check it. I don't know.
1: <laughs> so we even get time with her and her whole femme fatale thing, and she does it well. And she's made out to be a really smart woman. Yeah, I
0: was going to say, once again, a very powerful woman who understands her sexuality and uses it to her benefit. Yeah. Because, okay, so I got to know. Here's another question I have for you. We end up with Austin Powers and Alotta in a bathtub. When yeah. he goes to like try to get information out of her of who Number Two works for, mm-hmm. do you think she was seduced, or do you think she was in
1: control? Oh, she was in control. Even time. though even though Austin still got the information, he went for. I think so. I don't think he qu- she quite had like him in her spell. Okay, but I think she wasn't she in was... his spell
0: either. Yeah. Okay.
1: So I think they were both trying to play the other. And kind of both got what they wanted.
0: Here's another joke that I want to talk about that has to do with number two, who is Alada's boss. When the Lucky Charms guy attacks Austin, he's sitting on a a toilet. Yeah. And we get a long scene of toilet humor with Tom Arnold making a cameo as a cowboy sitting in the stall next to him. Funny or not funny?
1: Uh, Funny for the first, like... 20 seconds and then i was just like okay i'm done come
0: on you're not giggling when he's screaming who does number two work for no
1: really yeah i've never liked bathroom humor uh, so once again, elevated
0: not- elevated though this is elevated bathroom humor it's not fart jokes it's satire comedy of like I, that's not even the word i'm looking for i don't even know what i'm looking for where it's screaming who does number two work for sure that's the joke pooing is known as number two yeah but he's actually asking about somebody named number two. Like, that's good, clever humor. And you still didn't laugh?
1: I think because it goes on too long. Ugh. This is another one of those. That's that's going to be my biggest gripe with this movie is just some things are held too long and it no longer becomes funny.
0: What did you think of the joke after he flushes the toilet and kills him? Tom Arnold walks out and he's like, oh my God, boy, what did you have to eat?
1: That one was fine. Like, it didn't Even make Even though it's laugh. a dead guy in the toilet? Yeah. It didn't make me like laugh out loud, but it was it was a, a okay moment. Maybe right. because, once again, we had held on that first jo- bit of the joke too long that I'm just like, I'm done with the scene. Go That's forward.
0: Fair. That's fair. Another part that I want to talk about is the scene where they go to therapy. So mm-hmm. Scott and Dr. Evil aren't on the same page because Scott wants to go get his gun and just shoot Austin and just end it. Yeah. But Dr. Evil's like, no, no, no we got to play the game. So they have to go to therapy to work on the fact that their father and son... And Carrie Fisher, he's yeah. the therapist. So good to see her in a movie. Just it's great anytime she shows up. It's just so funny. But Doctor Evil gives this long monologue about his whole life growing up mm-hmm. and how ridiculous it was.
1: Yeah, thoughts. That was it. Was fine. It was uh, over dramatic, but you expect that from Doctor Evil. Yeah. He's a so, dr- he's a drama queen. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't mind it.
0: Okay. Do you like the part? So one of the parts I love about the therapy is when Scott is telling his side of everything that's happening. And he's like, I swear to God, sometimes he's trying to kill me. And <laughs> Carrie Fisher's therapist is like, no, Scott, I know you might feel that way. that way. They, it just, that's not actually what's happening. And Dr. E was like, no, no, the boy's right. I have tried
1: to kill him. Yeah. I love it. I absolutely adored that bit.
0: All right. I got a couple more scenes I want to talk about that just showcase my thoughts on this movie. Okay. So we're introduced to Doctor Evil's secret weapon, which are Fembots, mm-hmm. and there's a really clever joke here, but it also might fall in line with if oh, it goes on a little too long. So I want your thoughts. Okay. So the Fembots are very beautiful women who can seduce you, and their their yayas, their tatas, mm-hmm. are cannons, like their guns. Yeah. They're 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 packing little, like submachine yeah, guns. The or little whatever. the little the barrel comes out of their nipples and then can shoot people. Yeah. So when they're demonstrated. Dr. Evil has this great line of, like, those are some high-caliber machines or something like that. And, like, he makes the joke because it's, like, they are high-caliber, but then, like, because they're a gun, it's a caliber, because that's what the ammo's called. Yeah. You know, what size caliber ammo are you using? It's, again, that double entendre joke, but then, like, nobody laughs, so he explains it and then explains it again.
1: That, I didn't mind. I, I actually chuckled out of that because it was like, that's how people react when their joke doesn't land is they try to explain it. Yeah. And then it still doesn't land. So they try to explain it again. And then it just peters off.
0: <laughs> okay. I just, I, it was one of my like favorite parts because it's, again, showcasing the cleverness behind a lot of this movie. Yeah. Two other things. Mm-hmm. And then we can start and then I'll let you talk a little bit and then we'll we can start wrapping up. Two of my favorite scenes are actually connected, and it's towards the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie. and it's hiding the naughty bits with like fruit and balloons. And so in this scene, Vanessa's talking to her mom on the phone while Austin's sleeping in the bed behind her. and he wakes up fully nude. Mm-hmm. But we don't see anything because they cleverly stage it where Vanessa's holding a magnifying glass, So it's, like, way zoomed out. You can't see anything. And as he's doing squats, she, like, rotates it so that it keeps him framed. Then um, she goes to, like, bite a sausage, but she's holding it in a way that it looks like it's his wiener. And then Mm -hmm. she bites it, and he makes a noise. And it's just such well-choreographed, well-hidden, just fantastic jokes. Then at the end of the movie, we get the same thing with Austin again, but we also get Vanessa in it, where she thanks Basil for the fruit basket— And she's like, oh, these wonderful pineapples. And she's holding them over her breasts. And then she goes and puts them down. And as she's standing up, Austin's like, don't forget these melons. And like hides her. Tell me about these scenes. Because these are some of my favorite things in this movie.
1: They are fantastic. And I just cannot imagine how many times they had to do it to get it right. Because you have to be perfect in every single movement that you do. In order to cover everything up, and they do it wonderfully, and it's just like it it's that kind of visual comedy that doesn't have to do too much to be funny,
0: yeah it's so so good. I absolutely love both those scenes. okay, give me some more stuff, and then we'll move move on.
1: I absolutely love the fact that there's a lot more heart in this movie than I expected, like i think it's during the part where he's talking with vanessa right before she tries to come on to him where she asks him about her mom and he gives this like really heartfelt thing about you know i lost my love like i really really loved her but duty called so i missed out on that and it's a really really heart-wrenching moment and by the time he's done with it vanessa's Fallen asleep she does she won't remember any of it but it was a really nice moment for the audience to see of like no no this guy that we've seen that's all jokes and comedy about sex and all that actually has a lot of heart to him and he's a real person he's a good guy we're getting so much good in this one scene
0: one scene that got me with with the heartfeltness is austin tries to go on the on the town by himself and he's at a bar and he's drinking. And some guys are, like, looking at him. So he shoots him a peace sign.
1: Mm-hmm. And all the guys
0: start laughing and making fun of him. Yeah. Right? And then he goes back to the hotel room that they're staying in. And he starts catching up on everything that he missed. Mm-hmm. And it's such, like, a melancholy scene. That whole segment. That whole sequence. It's so melancholy. And yet so emotionally driven. And makes perfect sense with these characters. It's, again, one of those, like, Mwah!
1: great job. Like, this is just... It could have been just a raunchy comedy, and yet they put so much time and effort into it to making this whole thing make sense and making these characters make sense. Yeah,
0: absolutely. One last scene that I absolutely love, and because it, it showcases the two main characters, uh, Austin Powers and Vanessa Kessington, mm-hmm. really well. When the fembots finally get a hold of Austin, they're trying to seduce him, and it doesn't work. Like He kind of falls for it. But then he remembers Vanessa and it's like, oh no, I can't, I can't do this. And he gets up and, oh my God, I, I freaking love this scene and tell me what you think. He starts stripping to seduce them. Mm-hmm. And my, like he pulls up his hand and like fl- fans his fingers and a bunch of cigarettes show up. And then he like flicks them into all the fembots <laughs> mouths and then he like, and he's dancing and he strips and he's rubbing his nipples and he's show, showing, his his he spanks himself and all the fembots explode. Yeah. And then Vanessa walks in mm-hmm. and is like, what are you doing? And he's like, and he tries to explain. He's like, they were working their mojo, so I worked my mojo. And then we got cross mojo vacation. And then their head started exploding. And, and he's like heartfelt trying to explain like it's not what you think. Because he loves her. Because he actually loves her. And she just goes, no, I believe you. Yeah. Put your clothes on. Let's go.
1: Ah, just great character moment. It is a great character moment. And it could definitely be like that third um, third act conflict moment of like, how dare you? Yeah, but they but don't do it. No, they and, subvert it. And it's so great too, because that that great character
0: moment comes right after one of the most ridiculous scenes in the movie of him stripping. Yeah. And his little tidy undies having the British flag on there, the Union Jack flag. Like, It's so ridiculous. And then they have a great character moment after. Last thing to mention before we move on to questions and nits is, why... Do we not have sharks with freaking laser beams on their heads? (laughs) Instead, we get sea bass, and it's hilarious.
1: Although those sea bass are... Vicious. Yeah, almost worse than the shark with the freaking laser on its head would be. They decapitate that
0: man real quick in this movie. Real quick. But that's one of those other great scenes between Scott and Dr. Evil where he's like, I'm going to lower them... Turn on the slowly lowering mechanism.
1: That's easily escapable.
0: Escapable. and close the doors what you're not even gonna watch them no they could get away they could get away i I have a gun in my room i can go get it walk in 30 seconds 30 seconds done no scott that's not how we do this yeah great father-son moment of like just do tradition it's all about tradition just do it
1: (laughs) and the scott being like no things have changed yeah just do it the right way now. And obviously that was put in because people
0: always complained. Like, James Bond villains put him in the most easily escapable things. And instead of watching him die, they just walk away thinking they yeah. won.
1: And it's just... Back to the classic spy genre. Yeah, absolutely. And making fun of it the entire time. All right. Questions? Yes. What do you got? Would you rather be in the 60s or the 90s? 90s. Same. I just thought, because they put a good spin on the 60s of being like this is the carefree time
0: yeah there was so much bad stuff happening in the 60s though oh yeah um honestly i'd rather be in the 20s if i had to pick a decade it's the 20s i was born in the wrong decade (laughs) my family tells me that all the time um is austin charming
1: once he kind of stops becoming a sex craze if
0: you met him you gonna sleep with him could he could he seduce you no Uh, he could seduce me (laughs) <laughs> he's funny enough he's I, funny he's charming
1: yeah just okay. certain things about his character that i'm like mm, nah. well yeah you don't that, know that all would, that though that's fair you're only meeting him you, you didn't
0: watch his whole story uh last thing memorabilia what's one piece of memorabilia you want to take from this movie
1: i am torn
0: crush velvet suit baby
1: i was thinking either the crush velvet suit or something always drew me to that male symbol necklace that he had <laughs> oh but that, that's part of the suit it's, all, it's oh, all one. Okay, Then,
0: yeah, the, the okay. crushed velvet suit, then. The, my second choice, so you can have the suit, then. Okay. My second cho- I want the teeth. Really? I want Austin Powers' teeth. We get the running <laughs> gag of how bad his teeth are. I want the teeth.
1: Here's some dental floss. I get it. My teeth are bad. Yeah. No, we're going to use it. Yeah, it's but, so good.
0: Okay, I, I'll take the teeth, though. But if I honestly, 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 my, my final choice, if I had one piece of memorabilia from this movie, my final choice... Elizabeth Hurley.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You got more questions? One more. Yeah. What's one thing you changed to make this movie better?
0: Uh, Okay. Can this be part of my nits? Sure. Okay. So one of my biggest nits is the accents. Mm -hmm. Everybody in this movie has an accent of some kind. Yeah. So Austin has a really cockney British. Vanessa has a very proper British. Basil has a British Frau is German. Dr. Evil is... I don't know what. Yeah. Just evil. Even Will Ferrell's fez head is has a weird way he talks. Everybody has a weird way they talk, and mm. I just need that to not exist. Okay. I get Vanessa and Austin being British because that's where they're from. So having accents makes sense. Yeah. But like Basil didn't need to be, except for, I guess he's the lead of the British organization. So maybe like Dr. Evil doesn't need to be Frau Didn't need to fez head, the Irish guy, some
1: people. Yeah. Even Tom
0: Arnold has like a really terrible fake Southern kind of accent thing. Like everybody, a lot of vagina has an accent. Like everybody does something Mm -hmm. and it's just overwhelming where I'm like, this is one of those jokes that goes too far for me. Even though I don't know if it was a joke, I just hate it.
1: Especially when the movie is predominantly set in Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, I hate it. I yeah. hate all the accents. It, when they're talking to each other and it's all just mixing, I, I, I get lost in what's being said. So if I had to change something, I would limit the amount of accents to maybe like three people get them.
1: Mm-hmm. What about you? I would have his uh, change start a little sooner and more gradual. So it's not like overnight, he's suddenly more conscious of, you know, women being actual people and not just objects, like that whole thing. I want his change to be a little more gradual. So have it start a little sooner. Yeah, I get it. Nits. I actually didn't have any.
0: I have one other one. And it's going to contradict one of the memorabilia that I said, but Mm -hmm. that's okay. The teeth. Yeah. The teeth and the jokes about the teeth. You want to talk about a, a gag that just goes on too long? This, this running gag about how he has terrible teeth throughout the entire movie, every time it was brought up, I just roll my eyes. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care at all. Like, I don't care that he has bad teeth, but I also, like, got, like, it, it's frustrating. Guys, he was frozen. He was frozen for 30 years. Yeah. Like, who cares about his teeth? Like, just come right out and be like, your teeth are horrible. We got you set up with a dentist. But the constant jokes about it, Or just like too
1: much. One thing that I got annoyed with was the varying degrees of like how bad his teeth looked, because at some points it was lighter, some points it was darker and not necessarily in any particular order. So it was like, be consistent. At least with these teeth, yeah. if you're going to keep pointing them out so much, be consistent.
0: Yeah. You're drawing attention to them. They should be the same. Yeah. Yeah. I just, the whole tea thing, it didn't add anything to the movie for me. It didn't, it didn't ruin the whole movie for me. It's just something I could have done without. Yeah. A uh, couple of fun facts from Google. The shushing scene that we improvised up top mm-hmm. was also improvised in the movie. Huh. Um Seth Green and Mike Myers just... Added that in, and then they just went for as long as they could to see what worked.
1: It. I enjoyed it. And
0: the last thing I have is Daniel Craig, who was the newest James Bond, you know, like the actual gritty rebooted James Bond, mm-hmm. credits this movie or discredits this movie, however you want to look at it, for completely changing James Bond because James Bond before this was campy, stupid. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this movie completely just tears it apart from its <laughs> core up, just yeah. tears it apart. And the next Bond movie that came out after these, I think there was two more Bond movies starring Pierce Brosnan, were, were box office bombs. Mm-hmm. And then his 2002 Die Another Day is just god-awful garbage you can't even watch. And then they took years, and they rebooted it to be grittier. Yeah. And they say it's because of this movie you can't you can't take the piss out of james bond and then try to keep doing the campy stuff oh yeah no People you can't
1: you can't try and make a serious movie that relies on these uh aspects exactly like this movie think times have changed things have t- got to change with them
0: and everybody would just laugh at it and be like "Ha, ha, ha, ha. i remember when austin did that ha, yep. ha, austin powers did it better mm-hmm. you know so they had to reboot it and that's kind of good because the new james bond movies are Better? Pretty, pretty excellent across the board there's a few downers yeah but like they're good they're real good yeah all right hot take i don't have one uh my hot take best spoof best spoof movie of all time okay fight me on it i don't care best spoof movie of all time which kind of telegraphs how i'm gonna go uh, during our final <laughs> decisions here coming up but best spoof movie of all time second place scary movie interesting way down the list airplane If you listen to our last week episode, you'll know. All right, awards. Yeah. First up, we got our psycho shower scene, which is our favorite scene throughout the entire movie. Mine is Austin trying to turn in that very tight hallway. (laughs) So there's a scene late in the movie where they're in Dr. Evil's compound and Austin is driving. I don't even know what it is. It's like a a minibus thing. Yeah, they
1: they show them all the time at like uh, sporting arenas and stuff like
0: that. It's like the little things that they cart people around in the airport and stuff. Yeah. And he drops Vanessa off at a ladder and he's in this very narrow hallway. It's clearly just big enough for this machine to fit in there. Mm -hmm. And then Austin tries to back up and turn around (laughs) and he just keeps stopping, going, stopping, going, stopping, going.
1: This is one of the few times that they held on a joke and it still worked.
0: Oh my God. It's my favorite thing in this entire movie because then we cut away to other things and we come back and he's got it completely sideways in that hallway now yeah. and he can literally go forward an inch and hit the wall backwards an inch hit the wall.
1: I don't even know how he managed to get it to that point. He doesn't. Who cares? That's the best <laughs> part. Who cares?
0: That's my favorite scene. What do you got?
1: Uh, my favorite scene is the coming up with an evil scheme. Right after Doctor Evil comes out, and it's really sad to hear that the scene was either cut down or taken out altogether. Yeah, this is where he talks about
0: Princess Di and Charles, right? Yeah. So he
1: it really shows off the whole aspect of these people have been frozen; they don't know what's going on today. So he comes up with two separate ideas, and they're like, "No, no, no, that that's already happened."
0: Do you remember what both ideas were?
1: I remember it's the obviously the the blackmail of
0: Prince Charles. Being like he had an affair, we'll blackmail him and make them pay us money. Yeah.
1: Oh, and then the second one was creating holes in the ozone. Yes. And it's like no, no, no. Both of those have happened. Um. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, we'll just go with the the get a nuke and we're gonna use it. Yeah. And so it it, I made me laugh a lot, and it also encapsulates this movie.
0: Facts. I love it. Uh, next up, we have the
1: Life uh, Finds a Way Award or your favorite
0: line in the movie. Go first.
1: Mine is the classic. Oh, behave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, baby. Yeah.
0: Oh, classic. Yeah, it's so good. Quoted that all the time as a kid. All the time. He's not like full. I don't know what his accent is. It's hard to mimic. Mm. Uh, my favorite line is towards the end of the movie, after Dr. Evil is escaping, his whole plan's gone to gone to hell. And he's trying to escape. And Scott walks in like, hey, we're, can I bring my PlayStation with? And Dr. <laughs> Evil's not going to bring him with. And he's like, no. And Scott's like, but I, we had a breakthrough in group. And Dr. <laughs> Evil very seriously looks at him and goes, I had the group liquidated, you little shit. They were insolent. And it's just the way he delivers the line, the fact that Scott thought they were making a breakthrough in group and that they were actually bonding and immediately just puts him back in his place of how he feels about him.
1: <laughs> Great line.
0: I had the group liquidated, you little
1: shit. That made me wonder if he actually, like, turned them to liquid.
0: Oh, 100%. You definitely. <laughs> he's an evil genius. Liquidated. He's legitimately, <laughs> he said it in the literal tense, liquidated. Yeah. Next up is the Han Shop First Award for what held up the worst since this movie came out. I'll go first on this one. It's the, the repetition of all the sex jokes. There's a lot of just how much sexual innuendo can we put in this movie and at some point it gets tiring you're just like i don't i don't care anymore
1: yeah mine is similar it's it's holding on to jokes or repeating jokes so many times like you spend way too long on some jokes and then you just bring up other jokes way too many points in the movie so it's a very repetitive
0: yeah same problem we had with airplane last week too just Okay, we got that joke. Let's tell a new joke now. Yeah. This one didn't do it nearly as much as Airplane, but still did it a little too much. Yeah. And our last award is, as always, is the Paul Rudd Award for what held up the best since this movie came out.
1: For me, it's the concept. That that time moves forward, you have to move with it. So the whole idea of the person that was the most suave spy ever in the 1960s is not going to be the most suave spy ever in the 1990s. If he stays the same. So he had to change. So that was my favorite part. I think that held up the best.
0: Uh, Mine is in the similar vein. For me, it's the Austin Powers character holds up the best because of how much he grows and learns throughout this movie. And it goes to show the idea of like, just because something worked before doesn't mean that you can't grow, change, and evolve into a better version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And Austin really demonstrates that
1: so well. Yeah. So we're in the same vein. Yeah. Same idea. And now final thoughts. Knowing that I've said very few bad things about this movie, I don't think it's any surprise that I think this movie holds up. It is a classic story told in a wonderful way, portrayed by wonderful actors. Nothing about this movie screams it's outdated or anything like that. Anything that is problematic is talked about. And is brought up like, no, that's not. We're making fun of this because it's not okay. And so it holds up.
0: Obviously, I kind of already gave mine away with my hot take. But yes, it 100% holds up for me. Is there parts of it that are like, uh, maybe you could edit that out or stuff? Possibly. But I think a lot of that stuff that doesn't work does work by the end of the movie because it's what makes these characters grow and change. Mm -hmm. We had to see where they came from to know where they get to. And for that reason, because there's lessons to be learned and character growth. Yeah. This movie holds up. If he did not grow, I would say it doesn't hold up. Just like Airplane. There was no message. There was nothing about Airplane to have it hold up. Mm -hmm. This one, he at least grows, realizes his mistakes, and that's the reason this movie holds up. And like you said, it's not dated. This movie could come out this year and still work. Almost word for word, you could make this movie again and it would still work. Yeah. So, okay, that's it for this episode about Austin Powers' International Man of Mysteries. Let us know over on our socials what you thought about this episode or if this movie holds up for you. Emily, where can they find us?
1: You can find us pretty much anywhere. We have Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. All of the links are in our bio.
0: Well, one link. You just oh. click the one link in our bio. It'll take you to the list of where you can find us. Click on those things. Boom, you're there. It's a link to links, okay? It's a link to links. It's a it's linkception. <gasps> all right, guys. That was it. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hope to hear from you guys over on our socials. And until next week, what are we covering next week? Whiplash. Whiplash. All right. Come back next week to hear us talk all about the movie Whiplash. Until then, keep watching movies. Bye.